Well, last week was a uh, momentous week for my wife and I. We uh, enjoyed spring break. Julie's a teacher, if you didn't know. She's a teacher for kindergartners and first graders uh, at uh, Crestview Academy. And so we went, to, uh, we went on a spring break trip, and we were uh, going to go to uh, Louisville. That was our plan, someplace in Kentucky where we could drive and maybe do a little hiking. And then she came out. Um, in about January, she came to, into the living room. She said, how about if we go to Branson? I go, why Branson? She said, well, I found a deal. 70 bucks for four days and three nights. And I thought, scam city. No way. Do you want to go? And I said, is it legit? It's legit. We have to sit through a 90-minute presentation. Okay, I got you. So when we sat down with the guy, uh, he... Uh, he said, why'd you come? And I said, you bribed us, <laughs> and we're here. And they threw in some shows and all that kind of thing. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, one of the elders, Terry Chelta, uh, one of our newest elders, said, oh, Pastor Kirk, you're going to Branson. Let me give you some good ideas to go. And I said, okay, what I really want is I want the barbecue place. Let's start with that first, okay? So we knocked that off our list. And then he said, you've got to go to a place called Sound and Light Theater. Now, some of you, you guys are nodding. You've been there. Anybody else been to Sound and Light Theater? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's Sight and Sound, sorry. Sight and Sound, right. And so, um, uh, so we bought our tickets the day of. I tried to get a deal. They wouldn't give us a deal at all. And it was on Esther. And so um, we went the day of, and we sat way in the nosebleeders, and we got there plenty early. And so Julie said, let's stretch and, you know, before we sit down. And so I got to talking to a, uh, an usher at the theater, and her name was Debbie. And I said, we were, we're way up top, 2,000-seat theater. And I said, will it fill out? Will it be all packed? She said, no, no, it won't be all packed. And I said, have you seen the, sh seen the show, Esther? She said, oh, yeah, I've seen the show, but I really love Jesus. And I said, well... I love Jesus too, and he loves me and he knows me. She said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the drama last year. This year it's e Esther, and last year it was Jesus. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And she, then listen, this is the reason why I'm telling you. She said, I saw the play Jesus 700 times. And every time, one scene in particular made me cry. She said, it was the scene where he left the 99 and he went for the one because I'm the one. I looked at Debbie and I said, can I quote you on a sermon next Wednesday? She said, yes. Our text tonight comes from John chapter 10. I want to invite you to find a copy of the scriptures that are there for you. Um, we're going to be reading from John chapter 10. One of the kids read that for us. And I want to set this up for us in the understanding that the Lord is a good shepherd. And Jesus uses a couple different metaphors in this passage of Scripture. Jesus uses the term, you'll see it in verse 1, I am the gate. And then he uh, uses that again in verse 7, I am the gate. 
And then he uses the word again in verse 9, I am the gate. He uses a metaphor. Jesus literally isn't a gate. Jesus later in the Gospels also says, I am the bread of life. We don't think Jesus is a sandwich, do we? Jesus says to the woman at the well, I am the living water. He's not a bottle of water. Metaphors are used, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message says, metaphors are used in a way to allow us to marinate on that word picture in what it's like. Oh, if you are a gate, then what does a gate do? A gate shuts things out and opens things up, right? Julie will ask me as we're falling off to sleep, did you check the doors? Did you lock the doors? And oftentimes I'll say, oh, man, no. Then I'll do the manly thing and go and check the doors and go, duh, doors. And so Jesus says he is the gate, but he also uses the word, I am the good shepherd. And I want that to resonate in our heads about being a good shepherd and what that's like. You'll notice what he says. He identifies himself as the good shepherd in verse 11. And then he identifies it in verse 12. Then he calls himself the good shepherd. So I want to share with you three things. I want to be a sheep who knows the good shepherd who knows me. I'm going to start in verse 10 and then read through 14. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and to have it to the full. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Here it is again. I am the good shepherd, a metaphor. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I laid out my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So let me share just a couple thoughts with you this evening about I want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheep because the good shepherd knows me and I can know him. It says that, doesn't it? In verse 15, as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I can know the shepherd. Do you have certain friends in your life who you know well? So well that they will send you a text or email you a joke or send you something in the mail and you'll say, I know you'll love this. I have certain people in my life that when they text me, I know that the joke is going to split my gut because they know me and I know them. Think of knowing the God of the universe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all knew each other intimately from eternity past, yes? They invite us into the fellowship to know them. 
I show a, I show a video to, um, to confirmation students to try to explain to them the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, excuse me. And how do you try to explain that, that God lives in us by faith, the Holy Spirit lives in us? There are certain things that Jesus wouldn't do. So we show this video clip, it's called Jesus Wouldn't Do That. And it's this actor who looks like Jesus and it's at a local high school. And Jesus is in a classroom and Jesus is cheating and asking the student for help. And you go, Jesus wouldn't do that. The next scene is Jesus um, with some friends. The character who's dressed up like Jesus, he's, he's along some lockers. And the new kid walks by him, same kid in the classroom, and he said, hey, we're having a big party tonight. And the friends say, can he come? Oh, no, you're not on the list. And you go, Jesus wouldn't do that. The third scene is Jesus, the character dressed up like Jesus, and he's playing in a basketball game, and he pushes the boy. And you go, Jesus wouldn't do that. The fourth scene is they're in a cafeteria, and all the people are sitting in the cafeteria, and the new kid wants to eat with Jesus, the Jesus character, and the friends. And he says, we don't have room for you. And you go, Jesus wouldn't do that. The final scene is a scene at the church, and the youth pastor introduces the new kid to the kids in the youth group, and there's the Jesus character surrounded by other teenagers. And as he passes in front of the Jesus character, the character wasn't Jesus all along. It was a normal boy. Do you get it? Jesus was in the boy the whole time, and that's not how Jesus would have acted. How do we know what Jesus is like? Does that make sense? I want to show you the video, but I'll have to come back. So what do we know what Jesus is like? How do we know his voice? Here are some things that we know. Jesus would say, you're forgiven. Jesus would say, you're not condemned. Jesus would say, you are chosen. Jesus would say, you will be with me. Jesus would say, I am in you. Jesus would say, I am with you. C.S. Lewis said that when people talked about the word of God, they talked about the second person of the Trinity. John chapter 1 says that, right? The Word was with God and the Word was God. We see the Word of God being both the written Word and the living Word. As a pastor, oftentimes I will pray with people over the phone and one of my prayers often is this, Lord, bring back to mind sermons that they have heard, verses that they have tucked away, hymns that they have sang, sung, devotions that they have read, praises that they have sung. Bring those things back to mind that they might know you. I want to be a sheep with a good shepherd who knows me. Amen? Yeah. I want to also be a good sheep who has a shepherd who will lay down his life for me. This was what really struck me in verse 17. Look at what it says. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The word in verse 17 for the word love there is the famous agape love. My father loves me because I lay down my life. You know what struck me about that? Maybe I've seen that verse before, but what really struck me is I know what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so agape the world, but now God agapes his son because his son lays down his life willingly, and he has all kinds of authority. He has all kinds of authority. I want to be a sheep who knows the good shepherd, the one who willingly lays down his authority. And then it struck me, what about all of the authority figures that interacted with Jesus during Holy Week? Holy Week? How about we go and just scrunch her down to like Holy Weekend? So I started writing down, in getting ready for this message, I started writing down um, some of the different people that uh, had authority over Jesus. Now, Jesus, any time, could have called the angels, right? He was in the garden, and any time, he could have called the angels down. Peter tried to defend Jesus, did he not? With the authority that he had. Jesus, Peter takes out his pocket knife, and he cuts off the ear of Melchus. And Jesus says, put that away. If I wanted to, I could call on my father and he would send more than 12 legions of angels. I thought, what kind of authority is that? So I looked up what a legion was. A legion for Roman guards was 6,000. 6,000. What is a legion? A legion is at least 6,000 Roman soldiers. Mark 5, 9 tells us that the demon-possessed man of Gardenus had a legion of demons in him. 6,000 demons in that man. Wow. So here Jesus says that he will, he, his father would send a dozen. That would be 72,000 angels. What potential could 72,000 angels do? What kind of killing machine would that be? The combined strength in the number of angels is powerful. Isaiah 37, 36 says that one single angel killed 185,000 men in one night. If a single angel, angel can do that, how much more would be a 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels would be 1,110,000,000 men. Excuse me, that's 6,000 angels. 1,110,000,000. If you multiplied that out, if you multiply that out times 72,000 angels, the number is 13,320,000,000, which is more than twice the number of people living on the earth right now. That's the kind of authority the Good Shepherd has. And Peter takes it out and says, okay, I'll take them all on. And all Jesus has to do, all Jesus has to do is ask and the Father will send more than 72,000 angels. 
That's the kind of authority he has. And you know what? Listen to how he laid down his authority. First of all, he laid it down in front of Herod. I used all P's. Maybe this is going to drive you crazy, but so what? <coughs> he laid down his authority in front of Herod. King Herod, he was perverse. Herod killed his own sons. Herod is the one who wanted John the Baptist's head on a what? Silver platter. Herod. He laid his authority down. Didn't call out Herod. He laid his authority down in not calling out Pilate, who was a puppet. The people accused Pilate and said, you're no friend of Caesar's. Jesus laid his authority down when he said, what is truth? He laid his authority down. He didn't call him out. Jesus laid his authority down to Caiaphas, who was simply a prop. He was a chief high priest, but he did not treat the children of Abraham well. There were soldiers who were products of a killing machine. They had all of the tools to whip our Lord and beat our Lord and spit on him and hit him and crush him. He laid his authority down. He didn't fight back. There was the crowd. There were many of them. They were public. They were swayed by the people who, who were planted in the crowd. Jesus laid his authority down. He didn't call out any of them. In fact, what he did with his authority is he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. This is the good shepherd who laid down his authority. There were the disciples who were paranoid that night in the garden and on quiet Saturday between Good Friday Quiet Saturday and Easter Sunday, where were they? They were paranoid. They were paranoid. They were up in the upper room. They were shaking. In fact, when Jesus appeared to them on Easter Sunday evening, he said, I'm not a ghost. Do you have something to eat? Do ghosts eat? And there were the women, the women who were puzzled. How are we going to move the stone? How are we going to do that? He laid his authority down. I want to be a good sheep. I want to be a sheep who follows the good shepherd who lays down his authority willingly for me. In the third article, the third petition of the Apostles' Creed of the Lord's Prayer, we pray this, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? This is what we teach our students. The good and gracious will of God is done without our prayer, but we pray this petition that it also may be done among us. The good and gracious will of God is done when God destroys and brings to nothing every evil counsel and purpose of listen to the unholy three. Not the unholy trinity. There's only one trinity. The unholy three. The purpose of Satan, the world, and every human nature. The authority of God was laid down in front of all of those people. Jesus willingly submitted himself, but with his authority, he defeated Satan. He defeated the culture, the power of sin, and he defeated hell itself. I want to follow. I want to be a good sheep. I want to be a sheep who follows the good shepherd. Final thing. I want to be a sheep who has a good shepherd who is worthy of my worship. 
Psalm 23 um, is described as a hymn of praise and divine diligence. A hymn of praise of divine diligence. It was written by David, who was a shepherd himself, right? And uh, in getting ready for this message, my wife reminded me, she said, do you have the book by Philip Keller, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23? How many of you have read that book before? Um, he was from East Africa and um, a British, and then uh, ran a ranch in British Columbia. And I thought it was interesting when Julie said, just, uh, just, um, just read my highlights as you prepare for this message. And what struck me about the Good Shepherd is all of the things that the Good Shepherd does for us as sheep. I mean, we, we scan over Psalm 23 really quick, right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've heard it so many times. But it just jumped out at me, the way that he cares for us. And he knows us. And he wants to provide for us. That we shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. He's with me even when I walk through the valley. He comforts me with his rod and staff. He prepares a table before me. He anoints my head with oil. That's a symbol of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God in us. He follows us doggingly with surely goodness and love. It's my understanding that that idea is like one that pursues, pursues, goes after, chases after goodness and love. Like, oh, you're still, you're still following me, goodness and love? You're, 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 can you see that? That's what that means. Surely goodness and love will. Will follow me? I want to be a sheep with a good shepherd who knows me, who lays his authority <laughs> willingly down for me because it cost us cost him his life. <coughs> the mark of the shepherd is the cross. And the cross leaves its marks. Let me close with this. When we were raising our kids, um, we have three kids and they're out of the house now and they're on their own. And that's wonderful. When my daughter graduated from college, she said, Dad, are you more excited that I'm off, that I'm done with college, or I'm off payroll? And the proper answer was, yes, <laughs> both. But when they were little, we were talking about going, being in heaven and all the people, and my kids asked, how will we know who Jesus is with everyone up there, Dad? How will we know? I said, oh, that's going to be really easy. I said, you'll recognize his voice because his sheep know his voice. And I said, and here's the other dead giveaway. Look for the one who hugs you, who has nails in his, scars in his hands, and nail prints. Look for him. You'll know by the sound of his voice, and you know when he hugs you, look at his hands. I want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheep who knows the Good Shepherd because the Good Shepherd knows me. I want to be a sheep because the Good Shepherd is one who lays down his life with full authority as he did with all those other people that I walked through. 
I want to be a, I want to be a, a sheep because my good shepherd gave his life for me. He gave his life for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you do pursue us when we wander. Prone, I feel it. So often, we give in to sin. And your word is this, repent and believe and follow me. So thank you for pursuing us. Thank you each and every day that you pursue us. And your grace never runs out. It is deep and is inexhaustible. So that's the good word for us. That's the good word. Thanks that we could gather tonight in Jesus' name.